For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap a disastrous Titans loss to the Cleveland Browns. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be joined by Joe Rexroad of The Athletic. He was a uh, one of our first guests back when we did the... Uh, the Titan Size podcast a long time ago. Uh, I remember, guys, when we had Joe on, I just thought of this, when we had him on the Titan Size podcast, it was after that awful Titans loss in Arizona to Blaine Gabbert. Do y'all remember that game? Who could ever forget? Yeah. And so I, I think we, ju- we just ha- we have Joe on following inexplicable disasters. So we're going to talk to Joe later about Mike Vrabel about Isaiah Wilson. We, we covered a lot of topics with him in our discussions. We will get to that in due time. But first, guys, we're going to recap this game and then look ahead to the rest of the season. You know, typically, and I'll say this, typically we do a preview of the upcoming opponent where we break them down and talk about the matchups. I don't think anybody listening to this wants a preview of the Jaguars. Like, if you're listening to this and you're like one thing, like an in-depth matchup preview of this god-awful team, I don't know that you're going to get one. I'm sorry. No. It, it, I mean, it's really not even worth it. Like, the Jaguars are just really bad, and they're starting Mike Lennon at quarterback. So I don't know what kind of analysis we could really bring you. Yeah, they lost to the Browns by two points and almost beat the Steelers. But, yeah. They suck. We should just totally overlook them. James Robinson is good. Yeah, no, we definitely should not overlook anyone at this point. (laughs) Yeah, let me say I am terrified of this being a trap game. Like, there's no no analysis to it. Like, I can't tell you why I'm especially scared of this game when the Titans have such a great track record. But what I can tell you is that the trap games this season have been Minnesota and this one. Because, but, but let, let me say this, and I said we're not going to preview the Jaguars. Look what we're doing. We're previewing the Jaguars. Um, <laughs> I, you know, when I think of trap games under the Vrabel era in Titans, I think of like Josh Allen and the Bills in his rookie year. And I, and I think of like Jacoby Brissett and the Colts. And the common thread between all of that is like they have their starting quarterback. What we thought – now, now the games that like – the three of us thought would be trap games and then like totally weren't are the games with backup quarterbacks like 
um, the Texans in Week 17 this past year with A.J. McCarron. I, I think this game is going to be a lot closer to that to where, I mean, you certainly don't overlook a, you know, any given Sunday. It's the NFL and all that. But, like, there's just not a lot there. Now, granted, who did I, I guarantee to win against uh, – who did I guarantee a win against earlier this year? And and they the Bengals. That's who it was, right? Yeah, that seems right. <laughs> yeah, isn't a trap game usually when you're coming off a win though? I don't think like I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess it could just be a game that I'm overlooking, like that I think most people are overlooking. Yeah, I think I think we'll beat the Jags handily. I think the game is the trap game against the Lions because that seems a team we would definitely overlook, but they still have Matthew Stafford and, and some decent offensive pieces. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, I think Matthew Stafford in a very, you know, real future could beat the Titans. I don't just don't see much of a way of Mike Glennon. Be, I just don't see it happening. Um, that's just me. L- let's back off of this a little bit. And talk about the Titans' disaster at Cleveland. They gave up 38 points in the second half, took a 31-point deficit to the locker room at halftime. Guys, though, I think the message is the fact that by the final score, it was a one-score game. This is a resilient bunch of football players. I mean, they just never stopped fighting. Stop. (laughs) I mean, I think I think it was, I think it was actually Joe who we're gonna have on later in his column that was like, okay, we should not be using, you know, never stop fighting is like the base level of you know requirement. It's like okay, we should not be using like base level required effort as like a, a pat on the back factor. No, no, and we did this with the Steelers game. Remember, we went down like what. 21 to 0 or something like that, 24 to 0 or something like that. And yeah, they came back in the, in that game and, and they ended up having a decent chance, but the Steelers just lost to the Redskins and it turns out the Steelers might not be all that great. And that was also a home game and the fact that you went down by that much showed that this team is is seriously flawed. And then in this game, I mean, it was 38 to 7 at halftime. Who cares that it ended up being a one-score game when you were down 31 points at, at one point and the other team just stopped playing. Like, it's not like the defense all of a sudden became so good. No, the Browns just decided to quit, pretty much run the ball uh, the, the entire second half, and just try to get out of there with a victory because that's the leeway they allowed themselves by absolutely destroying this team in the first half. Yeah, I mean, it turns out when your defense can't stop a nosebleed and just, you know, basically says you can either move the ball eight plays and score a touchdown on us, or you can throw for one big play and score on us or really anything you want. As long as I think I, the way I summarized it was, I said that uh, the Titans defense was basically a tourism ad for Nashville right now, saying that like you can come here and do whatever you want and there's no repercussions. Like what happens in Nashville stays in Nashville because Really, unless other teams don't want to score on the Titans, uh, they can score whenever they feel like it. So, yeah, like, uh, I think there's some truth to the fact that they went more run-heavy, even though they're a run-heavy team in the second half. But, I, I mean, that's just, I think, 
at a certain point, we just have to admit that's just what this team is. What? Now I was about to ask. What are a, a, a team? A team that <laughs> on defense is never gonna it, like. I, we've said it before, but sorry, I thought it was understood. Just like a team on defense that is never going to stop another team, they're just gonna make them stop themselves. Like we've talked about this before about how my theory on the defense is that the mantra is. Uh, I think it's a bend, but please drop the ball. Oh, it yeah. Like, it happens every game, though. Yeah. It's it's the please drop the ball strategy on defense where you leave guys so open that you hope that they accidentally drop it because those are the hardest catches to make, quote, unquote. <laughs> yeah. And that's my variable strategy. Uh, that, that is what the team is. It's like a team – I guess I didn't put this part you know down, but like a team that is top three in the NFL in scoring – great on offense and i guess if they make a small mistake on offense at any point in the game that's equally at fault as one of the worst defenses in the nfl uh whatever we we can get into that later but the point is like this is never a team where if a team starts getting hot that the defense is going to step up and you know shut down that momentum you've just got to hope that your offense gets hot at the same time and you hope that you can outlast them and and i think though What's so maddening about this is we've seen over the last couple of weeks improvement from them. I mean, they weren't great against the Ravens, the defense, but they came through in the second half in a lot of ways, and then they totally shut down Phillip Rivers and the Colts. I mean, granted, Rivers did not play very well, but it takes a good defensive effort a lot of times for a quarterback to not play very well. And then they just come out, and and I wrote this in my column, they make Baker Mayfield look like Dan Marino. It's the it's the it's so disappointing, and, and I feel duped because my my premise after the game against the Colts was, oh, they're improving week after week. They're heading in a great direction for the rest of the season. Let's calm down. And then they come out, and, and I tweeted this, and it it got a lot of people uh, uh, a lot of people sort of agreed with this. That when the Titans lose, it is very rarely because the other team did something very well. I think if they had lost the Ravens game, that would have been the explanation. It was like, man, they just got outplayed today. The Ravens played really well. But, like, usually when the Titans lose, it's not because the other team did something great. It's because the Titans themselves totally blew it. And, again, and I put this in what I wrote on Sunday— simply losing is not the problem. You're going to lose. Everyone loses. There's only been one 17-0 team, and it was the you know 72 Miami Dolphins. You're going to lose games. A lot, a lot of really good teams, a lot of Super Bowl teams lose games, lose multiple games. But it's these, like, inexplicable, looked like you never even got on the plane. I mean, I get, they played in Nashville, so there was no plane. But you get what I'm saying where it's like, they just weren't even, like, prepared. There was nothing. And Tannehill said this. I, I, I asked about, um, you know, the job of a leader in terms of keeping things going when you're having success. And he said, you got to start the game with a sense of urgency. And obviously we didn't today. That's what he said. And, and he's right. There was none. No, there wasn't. And you said that the Titans never, you know, it's always because of their own disastrous undoing that that these things happen but I mean I think we should give credit to the Browns because their coach Kevin Stefanski who's an offensive guy just took Mike Rabel who's a supposed 
defensive type of coach. He took him to the cleaners. He absolutely outcoached the heck out of him. And it ended up being one of the most lopsided first halves probably in Titans history, I'm assuming. And, yeah, they made it close at the end. But I don't know, man. Like I, I don't I, – I told you guys before this that I was not looking forward to this pod because I felt like I was going to keep saying the same thing that I said three weeks ago when the Colts just destroyed the Titans or when the Bengals game happened or the Steelers game happened. I just I don't know what to say about this team. I cannot predict what they're going to do on any week because, although I, we did think they were going to beat the Ravens, although they they, they almost lost, but they just have these games where it's just baffling. It's just bad coaching. The players aren't playing well at all, except for you know a couple of them, and I just don't know what this team is. I have no idea. Uh, like we say, the Jaguars game is a trap game. I don't. I, every game is a trap game with this team. I have no idea what team we're gonna get in any given week, and it's frightening because they have to win some of these games in order to actually make the playoffs. Uh, and then in the playoffs, I don't. I have no idea what's gonna happen. Truly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I maybe I'm. I don't know. I, I guess I should ask you this, Matias. When you say you don't know what you're going to get from this team, you mean you don't know what you're going to get from the defense, right? Because the offense is pretty con- – I mean, at this point, we should know what we're getting from the offense, which is about a floor of 20 points and a ceiling of mid-40s. I, mean, I think Tannehill's playing at an all-pro level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you can argue against – Tannehill and Derrick Henry at all pro levels and Corey Davis and AJ Brown at pro bowl levels. I don't know. I saw someone tweet that Tannehill's pocket presence sucks. So apparently, apparently Tannehill is terrible now, but yeah, it's, it's hard. That was, I don't know what that was about, but yeah, it kind of to answer your question. Yeah. I don't know what I'm expecting from the Titans defense, but I do know what I'm expecting from the Titans defense. They suck. They can't stop anyone unless the other team sabotages itself like the bears did because they sabotaged themselves against anyone uh and then that colts game yeah the defense played well in the second half but i mean the offense was just was humming and you know what happens in these games the offense gets out to such a big lead uh that then the other offense you know for some reason they just they stop playing well i don't know it happens it happens in the in this browns game too and i don't know man i i don't know how to qualify i don't know how to quantify what I'm seeing from this team and the defense is, I have never seen, I'm going on a rant here, but I have never seen a team worse at defending running back screens than this defense. They have no idea where to be. There are always, they are always outnumbered like three offensive linemen to like one linebacker. And you just can't do anything because there's acres of space and no one's even close to, to the ball carrier. And it's 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 shocking. It's shocking to me. Let me ask you this, uh, both of y'all. So uh, while we were talking about this, I was thinking about, you know, the defensive performance and how they generally suck. I don't know if I if I know a team in the NFL that gets as energized when they get an interception as the Titans, because you think about it. it, An interception was really the turning point in the Ravens game when Hooker took the overthrow in the Steelers game. The interception to prevent points, either, I think it was late in the second quarter or maybe maybe early in the third, was a turning point in the game. In the Vikings game, Jonathan Joseph almost had a pick six. I think it was Jonathan Joseph, right? And then they went um, three and out. Well, but 
from then on, they sort of went on a run where they started to do much better. But, uh, and then, and then uh, I don't know if I said this one already. Maybe I did. But the Colts game where uh, Breon Borders almost had that interception and then he got an interception, like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. But it does seem like once this team realizes on defense, like, they might be able to actually make a play they start really cranking up and playing like an NFL team. But I mean, some the games where they don't, they obviously don't, but it, am I crazy in thinking that? I, I mean, maybe not, but my, my sort of retort is like, who cares, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that is a fair point. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, I guess what that's more of a primer to say, like, I mean, at what point do the Titans defensive backs just start freelancing and taking chances? It would be the first time all season. I hope they I hope they do it at some point, especially <laughs> the safeties who who are absolutely invisible. Byron and Vaccaro are invisible. They don't one do of them, anything. Yeah, one of them much more so than the other. But yeah, uh, but I, it, I talked about him enough, so I, I didn't want to yeah. mention him. That's that's why you get in trouble on screenplays is because your safeties aren't in a position to come down and crash that or because your corner is getting dragged on the other side of the field and in there. But I mean, it really isn't even on the linebackers the way they're running it because the, I mean, the Titans linebackers who get involved and who are fast enough to get over there aren't really strong enough to get through those blocks. Anyway, it should be on the safeties and the outside linebackers coming up. But you know, if it's, if it's on Harold Landry's side, then game over. Before we get to, uh, to to Joe Rexroad, there's three bits of, of actual news that I think we should go over, uh, just sort of quick fire. Uh, let's start with Tier Tart, uh, one of few disruptive, or I won't call him disruptive, few players on the Titans defense who has made disruptions this year. Um, he uh, got suspended for a game. Sorry, my mind blanked for a second. He got suspended for a game for stepping on a the, the Browns' right guard who now has COVID. What's his name? Teller. Yeah, A.J. Teller, right? A.J.? Wyatt. 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 There is an A.J. Teller, though, correct? I think so. Or anyway. That, that would be news to me, but... <laughs> well, anyway... Tier Tart stepped on Wyatt Teller. Uh, you you can certainly see in, in the video, and, and there's videos several places on Twitter. I, I put one out from the A to Z account. Um, it, when my initial reaction to it was like, well, that probably happens a lot in the NFL. But a lot of the comments that that video was getting were along the lines of, and it's from Titans fans saying, I don't even want him on the team anymore. Dirty play. What a dirty guy. Yeah, he should have been suspended, which I thought was an interesting, surprising reaction. What do you two think? Yeah, it was dirty, but, I mean, it wasn't It wasn't that bad. It wasn't like Albert Hainsworth level, you know? But, I mean, we're definitely going to miss him because it means more snaps for Will's favorite player, Matt Dickerson, and other defenders backup defensive linemen who don't really help all that much uh but yeah I, I mean i don't know i think a one game suspension is fair i don't think we need to ban him forever yeah that's fine uh, that stuff happens all the time uh, offensive linemen and defensive linemen are tough like I, I know he stepped on him whatever people get stepped on in the pile all the time 
really because you can't have metal cleats and this is whatever, but it doesn't hurt that bad when you get stepped on and it, like that. I don't know. Like I've seen yeah. more aggressive stuff. Every face mask that every uh, running back or wide receiver does to a defensive back that doesn't get called or fined hurts more than that does. I mean, you can the make ba- arguments. The Bengals that- had a way worse one. I don't know if you've seen that one. Sean Williams of the Bengals against the Dolphins. Like he stomped on the guy. Well, that, yeah, game, like, that game had a lot of extracurriculars after that cheap shot on Grant. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Like, I mean, the the Tart thing was like, he stepped on him intentionally, clearly. Like, yeah, like you find him or whatever. But, like, it's not like he, like, jumped or, like, leaned real hard and put all his weight on one leg or anything. He kind of, like, used it like a step and just propped over it and went. It's ridiculous he got it suspended for a game. Like, there's there's punches thrown in the NFL that deserve suspensions. There's uh, there's helmet to helmet that deserves suspension. Stepping on somebody's calf when they don't miss any time and they're fine. They they didn't miss a snap. You know, it, you know. I I mean, I guess the argument is like, oh, he was hurting with a calf injury. I'm I'm going to tell you this. Tart probably didn't just sit down and do his research and make sure he knew exactly which calf to do it, and then wait until he was matched up with him to do that. That is very unlikely. So uh, whatever. But at a certain point, it's football. Like, find him if you want to. But you can't see the rest of the hits uh, that happened. You, I mean, half the special teams hit that hits that we've had to see our returners take because we don't know how to block on kick returns have been worse than that play. News number two, Titans slot wide receiver Adam Humphreys has been placed on injured reserve, keeping him out at least until the season finale against Houston. This coming after Humphreys played his first game in a month after being concussed against the, I believe, Baltimore Ravens, right? No, no. Bengals. Bengals, yeah. Jesse Bates got him. That's right. Uh Clearly a tough situation. I mean, clearly that hit messed him up pretty badly. Um, from a football perspective, though, I think we've we've seen uh, we we have certainly seen Humphrey's loss clearly. It, it's not like a he came back and we're like, man, we hardly even noticed that guy was gone. Like we consi- the three of us consistently talked about how like you can tell he's not out there. Uh, maybe they get him back at the end of the season. I don't know. This is kind of scary at this point, but uh, it's a big loss from a football perspective, certainly. Yeah, well, he was out for a really long time, and he clearly wasn't right even in this past game. I mean, he had that he had that drop that led to an interception, so it was very it was very obvious that he just wasn't himself. And yeah, it's a pretty big loss. Thankfully, the Titans' offense has continued to click. Um, um as, as normal i think but he does give you just a consistent option especially on third downs and he could really move the chains because uh he just catches the ball well he gets open rather often the good news is we've seen anthony Furkser be able to step in to some of his his role in the past uh and be that sure-handed guy on crucial downs so uh, i think we'll be okay and, and especially with Corey davis playing the way he's playing i mean uh, I don't think this will be a loss that that will change, you know, the season. Yeah, it, it is. I, I mean, it's it's sad for Adam Mumphries, and we obviously hope, you know, he gets better. It's better for the team when he's out there. 
it's weird that I don't know that there's been a game all season where the Titans have had Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, and Humphreys where one of them didn't leave hurt or wasn't, you know, injured in some kind of way just because, I mean, it didn't happen in week one. I just don't think we've had it all year. And then throw on top of that, Jonu Smith being out and Darrington Evans, you basically have no backup running back. It's amazing the job that Arthur Smith and, you know, Ryan Tannehill and the offensive line, Derrick Henry, all, all the coaches and players on the offensive side of the ball. It's it's really a testament to how well they've been able to take over this system and really make it their own and understand what they're doing. Because when you look at all the injuries and all the people who just haven't played or who've been banged up when they have played, for the Titans to be in top three in scoring, it's just – it's incredible. And we don't talk about it enough because how horrific the defense is, but – uh, it would have been nice to see all of those guys healthy, and maybe they get that in the playoffs at some point. But uh, at this point, I'm just inclined to believe that the offense will figure out a way, you know, it, it is, as potentially important as I think Humphreys can be as a third down, you know, chain moving kind of guy. He clearly wasn't that last weekend against the Browns. And we've seen, like, like y'all said, we've seen. Ferks or do it in the past, and we've even seen Swaim do it recently. So, you know, I, I I think they'll be fine ultimately, but it is a little bit unfortunate that we didn't get to see everybody together at full strength. Last bit of news, and we, we covered this briefly with, with Joe, and I don't know that we really need to pile on this, but Isaiah Wilson was suspended by the Titans uh, for a game. No one really knows why. Most of the reports out there including one from Paul Koharski, where that this was sort of the uh, response to several incidents. I don't know. All, all, all I know is that uh, I'm worried about him on, like, a human level. Uh, this is scary stuff. And, and, and as we'll talk about with Joe, you know, a lot of guys are like, a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, he's just young and immature. Young and immature people don't do donuts on Charlotte Avenue and crash into a concrete wall and have, like, four police interactions over the course of a few months like that that, that I, that's not like dumb young person behavior that's like erratic behavior no i mean a lot of us were that age and we weren't doing some of the stuff that he's doing i don't know why clearly he had he has some issues he has to work out and it's pretty clear that the help that the titans say they're giving him isn't doing very much good. So, listen, I, I hope he figures it out. But I just—I I don't know what else to say about him. I don't—I don't know what else to say about his future. Like, I don't know if we're ever going to see him in a Titans uniform on the field. I honestly do not. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound callous or anything, but I think it's just the consequences of his earlier actions. I think if he shows up to camp in shape then he gets a higher a better chance to be higher up on the depth chart. If again, this is this is not any inside information. This is just me putting the puzzle pieces together that we know. If he's higher on the depth chart, he gets more involved. You know, he's not relegated to the third string, you know, he's not basically a red-shirted guy. Uh, you know, if he does what he's supposed to do, maybe he doesn't get covid. You know, you can't say that all the time because of just how easy it is to catch covid, but based on everything we know about him, we can assume that it probably was one of the parties he went to, you know, maybe he didn't get in a police report if he's more involved and people are considering him, maybe the starting tackle, but it all, it all starts with taking the job seriously. I don't think he took the job seriously when it started. I thought 
I think he thought that he was going to start eventually because that's what everybody kept saying. And he's either going to halfway through the season or he's going to start at the beginning of the season, but either way he's getting his job. So, you know, why rush and, you know, really commit full time when you can just kind of limp through it and, you know, Vrabel and the rest of the coaches didn't, didn't think he was fit to be the starter. Didn't think he was fit to be the backup. So he got relegated. The less he was involved, the more free time he had, you know, the less reason he had to be committed to the playbook. And that slowly spiraled out of control. So, you know, I hope he does get any sort of help he needs. I hope they've got somebody with him to help him kind of get perspective. You would think that Taylor Lewan would be the perfect person to talk to about that as a former first round offensive tackle who came in without a clear path to start. And, but for whatever reason, you know, he has not absorbed that. We know that Taylor one has been involved with him at least somewhat because they, he had him on busting with the boys and they see, they were doing all those videos and training camp or whatever. Like, at the very least, there was an effort made on Lawan's part early. It's it's sad to see. I hate it for him as a person. Even if I didn't like him as a draft prospect, like I don't want him to do poorly. I hate it for Robinson because anytime you get a first round pick that doesn't perform well, you know it's instantly labeled a bust. Even if they eventually do turn out well, like Corey Davis or whatever, you know you do get stuck with that label and you kind of have to overperform or else. It, your resume starts to look weaker. I don't like it for Keith Carter, who's now tasked with another project after he essentially fixed Nate Davis. And I give him all the credit in the world for that reclamation project and for really getting him going at a high level. But uh, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for me to see people so upset for him and for nobody to just say, you know, it started off with this one mistake that nobody wanted to talk about with him not showing up. Uh, you know, everybody was so ready to say, well, it's no big deal. You know, he's a 20 year old. He's always been a bigger guy. He doesn't need to be athletic. You know, he doesn't need to be in perfect shape, whatever he'll work it out. I mean, it all started back then and we talked about it then. And this is, this is the consequence. This is why it was so upsetting to begin with, but you know, hopefully this off season, he can find a way to turn it around. All right, we are going to take a quick 30-second break. When we get back, Joe Rexroad from The Athletic will join the show. All right, so we are joined now by, as we teased earlier, Joe Rexroad of The Athletic. And, Joe, I want, I want to get right into this and, and start with sort of one of the main points from your postgame column after the Titans lost to the Browns, and that is the issue of the, of the pass rush, because we now know that obviously Vic Beasley is gone and Jadavian Clowney is likely done for the season. Not that the Titans got much out of any of either of those two players when they were actually in. Uh, and because of that, I, and this isn't necessarily a reaction to the game on Sunday, because I was sort of thinking this leading into it without really any impact at that position outside of an occasional Harold Landry contribution. I don't see a path for this Titans team to the Super Bowl, which I think we can all agree was the goal for them this season after getting to the AFC Championship earlier this year. Do you agree with that? Well, certainly. I mean, I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's tougher uh, to see that the more and more the season progresses, and and that you know, depth chart outside linebacker, uh, you know, gets tougher and tougher although like you said the the high priced members of the depth chart didn't exactly you know 
do anything. But, you know, last year after they after they get to the AFC Championship game, what did we all say? If they just had some, you know, some more ability to get four-man pass rush um, with an otherwise solid defense and with an offense that looks like it's, you know, really coming into something special, you know, maybe this team could take the next step, and instead they've gone the other way despite massive investments. So, I mean, look, in, in the playoffs, could this offense perform at a level that it could outscore um, – you know, every, other teams on the way to, to victories, yeah. But, like, imagine this defense as it stands against Kansas City. I mean, I, I mean, how many tip passes at the line would you have to have, you know, to, to, yeah. <laughs> to hang in that game? I mean, it's – but, you know, at this point, I mean, I think it's – these guys have got to kind of figure out a way to, to be solid, maybe try something different. I'm still an advocate of just – moving Rashawn Evans around a little bit. I mean, he's kind of struggled at his normal position, you know, more than we probably expected. And um, hoping that if a Dory Jackson comes back in the secondary can be good, that maybe, it, you know, the, 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 the defense, the defensive backfield helps the pass rush, but yeah, I mean, the personnel just doesn't appear to be there. Hey Joe, Matias here. We've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the Titans defense and Mike Rabel's influence over it. And I think it's important to get another person's opinion on this because, you know, we're very we, – we, we hate what we're seeing. Uh, so so what is your opinion on the deterioration of that unit with Rabel presumably being more hands-on with that side of the ball this season? Do you think it's as simple as they don't have a set defensive coordinator and Rabel has too much influence over the calls, uh, or is there something more at play here? You know, I, it's so hard for me to, to make the judgment on Vrabel and Calls, you know, I just um, I would say that you know when people talk about Dean Pease um, and these players did a lot on, in various aspects of the job he did. You know, you got to believe them, got to believe what they said. And I mean, there's a reason he was considered such a great defensive coordinator and was so respected. I think he related well to players. I think he really, if there's one thing that he did other than just having a knack for calling plays. Um, and, and having time, you know, the right timing, things like that. He he kind of showed the vision of the game plan to players and made them sort of understand it. I heard that from multiple guys last couple of years uh, about just how enjoyable it was and how he sort of made them see the game. And that's not something everybody can do. Uh, so look, you knew when he retired it was going to be a huge loss. I think it was a mistake of Rabel to not either bring in or at least name a defensive coordinator. I don't know that, you know, like the whole thing with Vrabel, you know, that year at Houston, he was terrible as a DC. I mean, they, they also lost like their guys most of the year. I mean, they, they, that defense was gutted by injuries. I don't know. I don't know that this is like Vrabel's a bad defensive play caller. By all accounts, Shane Bowen is the one calling the plays. I, I think it's a factor. I think the bigger factor is that they had a terrible off season and the personnel has gone the wrong way. I mean, I really think that's a big – like, I think if you brought Dean Pease in right now, you'd, it would certainly help. But is he going to wave a wand and all of a sudden, you know, Tazar Skipper is going to be in the backfield all day? I mean, you know, is, is Breon Borders going to be a lockdown corner? I mean, like, there's just some issues um, with the personnel. Some not their fault because of injuries, but largely I just think this was the worst possible time for John Robinson to have his worst offseason. 
Yeah, hey Joe, this is Will. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about the personnel a little bit. So when I look, I see way too much Matt Dickerson. I see the Titans not really understanding what to do with their linebackers, a seemingly erratic kind of pattern of when they bring guys in, when it's a Will Compton down versus when it's a Rashawn Evans down versus, you know, when, when they want to go nickel and go, or when they want to go dime with six defensive backs. I see a lot of mistakes that I can't explain other than to say it's Mike Vrabel putting his guys in and not realizing the problem that's happening on the field. I think it's what happened at corner with Jonathan Joseph for a long time. It just seems like Mike Vrabel has an attachment to certain players, and it doesn't matter whether they're playing up to their expectations or doing an even average job. It takes them having a catastrophic meltdown for him to actually make a change. And and I've pointed out on the podcast several times that Matt Dickerson is one of the worst defensive tackles I've ever seen. And that's not hyperbole. He's just not good at that job. He stands straight up. That's where the Browns <laughs> ran their touchdown in. He, he's just he's just not very good at that position. So at, at what point do we start to say the scheme is bad and the personnel decisions are worse? He just has too much control over this defense. Well, that's a, you know that's an interesting point. Um, I, with Dickerson, you know, I, I agree that he's not a good player. You know, also. Pierre Tart, who has been kind of a nice surprise, a guy who, you know, I've noticed certainly out there, guy who can eat up some space, make some plays. Of course, now he's gone against a pretty good offensive line, by the way, uh, in Jacksonville. So, you know, probably means we're going to see a fair amount of Matt Dickerson Sunday. Um, I can't say, I mean, I think you bring up interesting points. I can't say I've sat there and said, my gosh, Rabel clearly just loves that guy. Why wouldn't he take him on the field? I mean, I think Jonathan Joseph was, was probably a case of, dude, you've got to move on, you know, and of course, if you remember, you guys remember the Steelers game, they, they, let, you know, they throw Ty Smith in there and I, whichever of those guys was out there, Roethlisberger was like, yep, I'm throwing right there. You know, I mean, it wasn't much better with Ty Smith. I mean, I mean, Jonathan Joseph doesn't play much if at all, you know, if they don't have injuries. So, I mean, you know what I mean? Some of it is, is I think uh, out of Vrabel's hands, but maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe, I mean, even with Clowney, um, who would make some plays, it was clear that he was playing outside the construct of the defense at times, which was a problem at times, especially, I think, in the, you know, uh, against the run, you know. So that's one of those, like, it's his guy. I mean, I think it's obvious from, from the day they uh, moved Casey, I was like, okay, so this is clearly a clowny move. Like, they're, they think that a clowny's the answer, and obviously we saw him not draft an edge in the draft, and it was all pointing to that. And so, and obviously that's one of his guys, and I mean, when you invest that much, in his case, for example, you invest that much, well, you're going to, I mean, anybody in this league, like you're going to see it through. And plus, the problem, again, is what are your alternatives? I mean, right now, here, here we are. Uh, whatever happened with Correa, uh, he gets ticked off, justifiably so, I would say, especially when you think about Beasley ever getting a snap over him, you know. I mean, so then they get mad and they move him. I mean, that's a guy that they could – certainly use right now but I mean, look I, i'm not i'm not saying you're wrong i mean maybe maybe there is some of that some of these just sticking with a guy or just bad substitutions uh to go along with what is clearly in some weeks just just bad plans I, i'm not asking this to, to preface in a like cross-examination type of way I, i'm genuinely curious as to what you think what does mike vrabel the head coach 
add to a football team because I, I as we've discussed, he's he's not an offensive play caller, obviously, and he's technically not the defensive play caller. And sometimes his schematic influence is questionable at best. So, so what is it that he brings? Like, wh- why is it? Because I think we all sit here and say he's a good coach. Why? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, so one thing that I've definitely heard from quite a few people is, at, you know, at least in terms of schematics, game planning, um, finding things, just, you know, being, uh, I guess, you know, intelligent about the game. He's, I mean, I've heard from Philby, like, it's unbelievable watching him break down film. Like, he's a really smart guy. I mean, you know, so <laughs> you say that as we're talking about, you know, this, this awful defense and some questionable decisions. Um, but that is one thing you hear from people, that he's a guy who very much impresses um, as a game planner, as, you know, as a guy who sees things on film and, and you know, finds matchups and things like that. Uh, I think still more defensively than offensively, which, again, where's that this year? Um, but, I mean, his, as a hire, uh, you know, it was a quote-unquote leader of men hire, you know. And, I, I mean, look, I remember at the time saying, gosh, that's quite a leap. I mean, this, this malarkey just got you a playoff win. Vrabel's had one year as a D.C., and it was very bad. But he was a guy who just impressed people with his presence. And, I mean, that goes back to his playing days. I think there is some some built-in respect. Some of these guys even maybe remember, you know, the tail end of his career. And uh, I think he does have a – I think the best thing he does from what I've seen and heard is he's got a good balance of um, relationship slash, you know, intensity with the players. I mean, it, it's I don't think it's easy to have that. I, I mean, you know, Luke, you've seen it out there. I mean, it's – there's some colorful moments in the practice field, and yeah. I don't think I don't think he shies away from anyone on the team. There's not like a star rule, you know, and that is something you have. And then, again, I think that there is. I mean, these guys like him, and I don't think you can just blow that off. Um, it's a good work environment, and there's a lot of coaches in this league that you can't say that about. So, I mean, I think it's more of that stuff. But again, it is interesting to hear, listen to people talk about him. I mean, I've heard more than one person say that the dude's a football genius. Um, and look, I mean, overall, he's had success. He's, I think he's, I agree with you. I mean, I think he's a good coach. Um, but yes, he does not, what you see a lot in this league is more of the, you know, the offensive. A lot of times it's more like, like the guy who played D3 quarterback somewhere, but is an offensive whiz and, and uh, maybe even a play caller as a head coach, and that's more in vogue. But, um, look, I mean, overall, I, I think Vrabel's been good. Certainly this year, um, I, I think I think maybe he needs to expand. If I had a critique, too, that we haven't talked about, needs to expand a little bit from, like, guys he trusts and knows and go out and try to find the best coaches. You know, I think this is an attractive place, an attractive job, the winning team. I think sometimes – different viewpoints and outside viewpoints are good. And, um, you know, I think he's got, as he moves forward, he's going to have to expand that a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot of, uh, about a lot of negative things. So I thought I'd shift uh, to something else and bring up Isaiah Wilson. 
whose <laughs> situation <laughs> seems to <laughs> his situation just seems to have faded to the background because of this Browns game. But I, I mean, it's something that we need to talk about. I mean, I could go through the list of, of what he's been through in a short uh, time's career. He's had a DUI. He's had other run-ins with the police. He was on the COVID list for over a month. And very recently, he just got suspended by his own team for a violation of team rules. And, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot, but we didn't like the pick from an on-field perspective when it happened. But this has been more of a disaster than I think anyone imagined. Uh, we, we just didn't see these off-field issues uh, prevalent in college, and we didn't think they would pop up. D- did you see any of this coming? And what do you think his future is with the team, if there even is one? Well, first of all, no, I mean, you know, look, this is not a guy who had any sort of red flags, um, you know, coming out of college. And, I mean, I think a lot, again, with all those things you mentioned, you know, the DUI is absolutely inexcusable and ridiculous. Um, and I still put that on in a separate category. Um, there's some immature young guy who all of a sudden is making a ton of money maybe uh, a play here, but yeah, it's very disappointing that it kind of looked like maybe he was figuring some things out. I thought he looked like he was in a little bit better shape recently, you know, doing some things in the practice field gets active. Even if it was active out of desperation, he was active for a game. And so it looked like, okay, maybe he's, he's seen a little bit of a chance to, you know, to progress. He's stopped doing dumb stuff. Um, and and there and you can put that stuff behind him, and then you get this suspension for a game. Um, you know, after a week in which you know he's like ill, <clears throat> excuse me, ill on the injury report, and you know it's just it's a bad look. So um, no, I didn't see it coming. As far as his future, I mean, look, there's long way to go before that's over. I mean, you invest a first round pick in a guy, um, you expect him still right now to be your long-term right tackle uh, and there may be plenty of doubt in the building but they're far from moving on from that and uh so you know we'll see we'll see uh how he responds i've been told that they've you know done a lot of different things to try to help him um which is no surprise but i mean they've really really worked with him it's not like it's just been like okay well isaiah we'll figure it out talk to you the next zoom call i mean this has been you know, clearly, I mean, I think you would do that with a lot of players, but especially when you spend a first-round pick on somebody. This is, an, this is a guy who you expect to be a centerpiece of your team. And, look, that could happen. Um, he could grow up. He could put this crap away, get in great shape. I think he's got the body, the athleticism, the feet. I mean, he's got, I think, the skill set to be a good tackle and sleeve. And we haven't even gotten close to seeing, to, to, to looking at that yet, you know. Um, terrible, terrible start, but long way to go. And, you know, hopefully if he's got, you know, you look at all this stuff and you do think, man, what's going on with this guy? Um, and hopefully he's taking seriously the help the Titans are trying to give him and, and wants to, you know, wants to turn this around. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an Isaiah Wilson guy for several reasons and I've talked about it a lot so I won't I won't go through them all again but let's say that Robinson consulted Keith Carter and said okay we're we're down to a couple of cornerbacks we're thinking here when you look at the rest of the draft it was probably down to corners defensive linemen and offensive tackle 
and you say, you know, he's got the SEC pedigree. He's a lump of clay. Can you mold him? Keith Carter says, yeah. Everybody else says there's not not another guy in that area that we wish you'd take for our position group. It, it gets signed off on and moved on. I think that the thought process behind that decision is correct if you're trying to build a team that's going to win with offensive pieces that you draft high and spend a lot of money on and you're going to ask your defensive head coach to improve and augment the rest of your your defense so that you can get more out of less. I think that's a sound strategy, and it's kind of the way I've defended Robinson because I think it's hard to look at his past draft classes and not think that he's got a pretty good handle on what he's doing. That's how I've spun this in my head to kind of defend Robinson here and and his decisions was invest in offense, get your guys on defense that your staff, you know, signs off on and move on from there. The problem is Vrabel has not upheld his end of the bargain. You know, whether it's, you know, Vic Beasley wasn't motivated enough or it's, you know, Clowney was hurt and never got in shape or the regression of the linebackers or the safeties or what, what the things we've already talked about. Am I wrong in thinking that that's a sound strategy? Should Is there a clearer move that Robinson should have made in that position? Because in retrospect, I can't see anybody who was drafted around that selection who would have started because it's not like the Titans were going to draft a safety anyway. I, I guess to kind of condense that question down, if you ignore the names and look at the positions and what the Titans did in terms of short-term contracts, what are the biggest issues you have with John Robinson this offseason? Yeah, well, I think you make, make good points there. And, you know, I've looked around there, too, because, of course, you know, that's a, always a fun pastime is going back in a draft and saying, ah, you should have taken this guy who went two picks <laughs> later. But, yeah, there isn't a, a great answer there. Ah, but, you know, what they should have done, which I said at the beginning of the offseason, they should have kept Conklin. And imagine if they kept Conklin and um, – and I, and I believe they tried, by the way, but, you know, the Browns offered Clowney $18 million. So imagine, like, we just watched these teams play. Imagine if you could just flip-flop it. Conklin's at, still with the Titans, <laughs> and Clowney's over on the other team uh, for a ridiculous, even a more ridiculous sum than the Titans paid him. Um, you know, then there's not even a thought, of course, of drafting Isaiah Wilson, and who knows how it goes. I know that, you know, I, I know that Terrell Lewis has sort of hinted at, you know, the the uh, the heavy interest from the Titans um, in the draft, and of course that's you're going third round there on the pass rush. There's just nobody. You look down that you're like, oh, if they would have picked up this edge guy around there, or even traded down a little bit or whatever, then it would make have made this huge difference this year. So you know, I I just I mean that to me, I thought they should have kept Conklin, and um, you know, uh, I do think that him leaving had something to do with them not picking up his option. And frankly, I can't blame him for that one based on what he looked like in 18. But uh, that's a, I don't know, that doesn't really answer your question. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, in the spot they were in, I don't hate the idea of drafting that position. It's just, you know, the particular guy, obviously, is just not worked out. And I don't know if they ignored something. You mentioned Beasley. See, there, there's an example to me of Vrabel – that's a Vrabel signing, like, I'll get him going, you know. That, 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 as soon as they sign him, I'm like, okay, so this is Vrabel telling Robinson, oh, I'll get him, I'll find it, I'll figure it out. And obviously he very much did not. Well, and I, I don't want to get too far into my conspiracy theories, but when 
you look at the history of the free agents that the Titans have brought in, they all have a common connection, whether it's coaching staff, whether it's uh, the defensive line coach coaching Wake, or you look at uh, the, there's several that I won't go through, but it, it's pretty consistent that you know Matt Lafleur was a big Roger Saffold fan before he went off to Green Bay, and that's kind of how they got the ball rolling on that. And it, it seems like there's been somebody vouching for every big name free agent. And in this COVID shortened off season that where people couldn't have contact, the one common theme is that uh, John Robinson has the same agent as Vic Beasley. And I, I, I won't, I won't ask you to respond to this, but it is weird that he's the one outlier in all of this. And that's the one common connection. I think that Robinson kind of got snowed by his agent defending him. But like I said, I, I won't ask you to defend that, but as a man of many conspiracy theories for the one 10 plus million guy that they've, you know, brought in, it is strange that there is that connection and nothing else. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the thing is, it was also some kind of a change, you know, because I think they had the same um, feeling on him as a lot of people, which is and as just about everybody in Atlanta, which was like, man, it's just not, it's just not going the right way with this guy picked up some kind of garbage time sacks last year, but yeah, some, something along the way uh, convinced them. And yeah, you could probably um, point to the weird off season, I guess is, you know, it's limiting some of the stuff you would normally do, but boy, you talk about snowed. They got snowed. Last question for you, Joe, and I'm going to, I'm going to expand it a little bit to not put so much pressure on you. If you were in a room <laughs> alone with, with Mike Vrabel, and you had a chance to ask him two questions, and I'm going to give you two instead of one just to make it less pressure-packed, and he had to give you a complete and 100% true answer to these questions. What would you ask him? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is a lot. Well, actually, you you doubled the pressure. I, it's hard to come up with one. Hey, guys, come up with <laughs> well, well then, um, then just do one. Just do one if you want to do one. <laughs> no, okay, let me see. Well, okay, Um well, I mean, look, I mean, I could probably come up with some question about like 1990s Ohio State or something, um, or, you know, like some Belichick question. But, you know, for the purposes of, of the fact that, you know, we cover his team, I, I would ask him, I would ask him what he was thinking on the, on the defensive coordinator front. Um, I think what he's thinking is Belichick has done this too, is, you know, don't put the pressure on Shane right now. We'd all be, everybody was saying fire Shane Bowen and that's not, they're all complaining about Vrabel. That might be the answer, but I'd still would like to, I would, I would ask him to fully explain that whole thought process, including, did you go out and talk to anyone? Did you think about it or was this always going to be Shane and why, and where is it going now? Is that one question or is it five? I mean, I guess it's up to you to decide. But, I mean, that's the first thing I think of is what are you thinking there? If I get another one, I would ask him, I would say, tell me just what we were talking about, guys. Tell me what has been the real – let's forget the personnel. What has been the impact, the loss of Dean Pease? And, you know, is there any way to, um, you know, try to, to, to rectify that, to, to – um, figure that out next year. So it'd be it'd be around that because again, I mean, I, I still think it's more personnel than it is that, but that's big and that's big moving forward too. Um, 
maybe I'd ask him what he thinks about Matt Patricia too. But now I'm now I'm asking way too many questions. But I'd probably keep it to that. I want to know your answer to that. I know. Just got to play better. Got to coach better. That that's what I have to say. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, I want to know your well, question. I, though. What's your what's your well, question for him? If you have the same I, thing. I think, I mean, going down your route of, of picking, like, more more than just a single question, but, like, topics, I would be interested in knowing, like, the the backstory on how they're handling the Isaiah Wilson thing because yeah. it is getting to the point where, like, I'm legitimately scared for the guy. Like, you know, people are saying, he's a kid, he makes mistakes. But, like, 20-year-olds don't, you know, drive into concrete walls in, on Charlotte Avenue. Like, that's not a, ho-ho, immature. Right. So I, I would kind of ask what they're doing to help the poor guy. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think like what I've, I've always thought about, like if I had like a, you know, ESPN TV one-on-one sit down with Mike Vrabel, one question mm-hmm. I would ask, I would ask him is to ne- like, you know, the job interview question. What is, what's it, what, what does he honestly think is his biggest strength? And what does he honestly think is his biggest weakness? Cause I would be interested to see what he said for each of those things. That would be, yes. And that's one of those things where, like, you you would have to have truth serum because it would just be yeah. stock, cliche. Um, uh, my strength is, like, we were 9-7 and seven this year, you know, or whatever. I mean, like, you, you would have <laughs> yeah. to. But, yes, I would love to hear the honest answer to that, yes. All right, Joe, thank you for your time, and uh, we, we really appreciate it. All right, guys, it was fun. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we really appreciate Joe coming on. As, and as I should have, have uh, mentioned earlier, you can find him on Twitter, at Joe Rexroad. Very, very easy to find. All right, guys, it is time as we close out for Stop the Nonsense. Who would like to go first? I can get started. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys were going to talk about this Des Bryant situation. But I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Literally developing so, as, as we're doing. This. Literally. As we record this pod, like in the middle of the pod, uh, Des Bryant tweets out, well, there are some exploders, but tell me why they pulled me from warming up so I can go get tested. It came back positive. I tested positive for COVID, WTF. Um, so, so Des Bryant gets pulled uh, from warming up. Ten minutes before the Ravens uh, play this play this Tuesday night game, which they're playing on Tuesday night because they had a severe outbreak for the past two weeks. They played last week without their quarterback and without their top two running backs and other players. And now another one of their players test positive before the game. What does the NFL do? They continue the game as if nothing happened. They say that there are no high-risk close contacts even though there are pictures and videos of Des Bryant talking to Cowboys coaching staff and players and obviously on the field with his own teammates. Uh, and a lot of this is without a mask. Sure, he's wearing gloves, which they may use as as a way to say, oh, no, but there's no transmission for, between hands or something like that. But he's not even wearing a mask in a lot of these photos. And so they pulled him from the game. They continue the game as nothing. And it's just shocking to me. And, and the reason they say he had two inconclusive tests before this positive and the NFL's reasoning for letting him even warm up is that they treat inconclusive tests 
as positive. Can you explain to me how that makes any sense, given how this season has gone, given how many players have tested positive, given the amount of sheer positive tests there are in America right now? How how is the NFL operating like this and just continuing as, as if nothing happens? I'm just I'm just waiting. I don't want it to happen, but I'm just waiting for the playoffs until Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers test positive for coronavirus, and one of these teams has to play with I don't even know their backups, but they they're gonna have to play with with their second or third string backup quarterbacks, and it's gonna be an absolute disaster. And the NFL. Just does not care. They're just trudging along as as if nothing's going on. They have blinders on, and it is it is something else to to watch. It really is. Uh, I mean, bottom line, pretty, baby. Yeah, I'm pretty sure COVID isn't even real, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, what a nightmare. Uh, Luke, you want to go or you want me to go? Go right ahead. Okay, so mine is more. Uh, it's kind of like a collective, like I was right and you were wrong thing. Uh, but for the longest time I have been championing this idea. It's been uh, two years now, maybe longer. I've been really behind the idea that the only problem that Corey Davis had was that he wasn't getting volume. And as recently as two or three weeks ago, I, I would, I would, try to say like look Corey Davis having a really good season like it's going to be tough like to not re-sign him it just replaces uh production and everybody talked about you know well so and so has 600 yards and Corey Davis has 600 yards or whatever and, and basically tried to take the best first and second round rookies from the last couple of years and say all the Titans have to do is draft this guy well now we're seeing why it doesn't make sense to draft a wide receiver if you don't have to uh, I mean, you look at Nikhil Harry and uh, for the Patriots, who we seem to always talk about, and Hollywood Brown for the Ravens. And there, there's several guys who may flash, but they're not consistently good. Corey Davis, for the longest time, has been the victim of a run-heavy offense. And as much as I love Marcus, like, you know, with Tannehill, it's obvious Why? that— that's not this is not a i think he deserves to be the starter this is he's a he's the nicest human being in the world by literally all uh, accounts other than matt dickerson uh yeah who has to like make fresh muffins for people every morning or what well that should be my stop the nonsense but whatever like i don't know if he brings the paper to brable every day I, i don't know what's going on there but let me get back to this uh, so I had people in my mentions as recently as two or three weeks ago saying that you could easily pr- replace his production with uh, a younger guy, all that kind of stuff. So much so to the point that when I wrote an article at midseason after week eight saying that Corey Davis had moved into the number one slot for free agents that the Titans should re-sign, I had people saying that, no, it should be Jayon, no, it should be Daquan Jones, no, it's got to be Jonu Smith. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that at this point, everybody admits that, you know, that it was a volume issue and that Corey Davis has had the talent the whole time. But I need people to be more behind this. It, there's there is a 25 year old wide receiver who is about to hit the free agent market who just had a thousand yards. He's six, three, one of the best blocking 
wide receivers in the NFL, and he's a perfect fit for this scheme, and everybody's content to let the Titans repeat the Jack Conklin mistake all over again. It's like I'm having deja vu. I need there to be more of an effort from everybody out there to push this forward and retweet. And and I said something about this today and how well he's doing, and people did retweet and were very active and commenting about it and stuff. But this is a dangerous situation where – you don't want to set the precedent that the Titans are a team that uses rookies to be really good for four years, then lets them walk in free agency because that's eventually how you become a bad team. So my stop the nonsense is more of a collective. We now see that all of our past takes were wrong, that Corey Davis isn't a bust. He's probably the best wide receiver from that draft in the first couple of rounds. Now make sure we're all on the same page so that, the front office knows how much support's behind him because I think that's what happened with Jack Conklin is not that there wasn't enough number 78 jerseys sold, but because it was such a, oh, well, he had an okay year that there was no sort of push or anything like that. That That's probably just me overthinking it. But again, I need everybody to fully get behind this because if the Titans don't have Corey Davis next year and they limp in with A.J. Brown, a rookie, and – Adam Humphreys, who may play half the games, that's super dangerous and scary. This is probably the most nitpicky uh, stop the nonsense that I've ever had, but I'm going with it because when it happened, I said to myself, "I'm, I am, I am talking about this on the podcast this week." So I go to Zaxby's last week, one of the few. Uh, like fast food restaurants around here that is allowing dine-in. And it's because with the way they're set up, it, it's basically a sit-down restaurant where you're not waited on. Lots of lots of space. It's, it's very safe. I have, have no problems with the their handling of COVID. It was very safe. You know, wore my mask up to take my order and sat down. I was, I was, with, I was by myself that day. Uh, you know, perfectly safe. Here's my problem. So one of their policies – for COVID, because of COVID, is that uh, when you go to refill your drink, you have to get a new cup every time, which I'm fine with. That is not, please know that is not the stop the nonsense here. You know, is it effective? Probably not, but they're a private business. They can do whatever the heck they want, and, and that is okay. Here's my gripe. So, my friends know this about me. I drink a lot of, like, soda like in one sitting, like I will routinely go to restaurants and go through like three to four glasses of like water or lemonade over the course of a meal. And so I go up to, to, I I order. uh, And when I go up to pick up my food, I say, Hey, can I go ahead and get a second cup? That way I don't have to come back up and bother you guys anymore. And you know what the response to that was? I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to do that. Hold up. Now, I have no problem with your COVID policy. However, you have to admit it's an inconvenience to me. I have to come up to you every time I want another drink. And and also, it's an inconvenience to you because you got to fetch me a cup every time I come up there. And you're just going to, like, withhold this 15-cent styrofoam cup from me? And so you know what happened? Two minutes later, when I finished my drink, I walked up there and said, can I have another cup? And they handed it to me. 
And this is a small gripe, I know, but that just really bugged me for some reason. I was like, this is just stupid. Like, I, I give me the second cup. I, I don't understand why that was such a problem. If they were going to give it to you anyway, why not just give it to you the first time? I don't understand that at all. Uh, if if there's one thing that cartoons have taught me, it's that you should have come back in a mustache and come right around the corner and just asked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I've seen enough cartoons to know that that will work up to three times. Or like, so or like, you should have just done that. Or like put an elementary aged child on my shoulders with a trench coat. I thought about saying that, but I was like, I don't want to just jump directly into that because that might be a weird thing. It's like, you should have just put a child on your shoulders in a trench coat. It's like, oh, I need to lead in with a cartoon or else this is going to sound real weird. I just, it wasn't like I felt disrespected or anything. It was just like, what is the purpose of this? I need a t-shirt. We need to, you know, add to our shop at at, uh, shop.spreadshirt.com slash no nonsense pod. We need to add a t-shirt that just says, what is the point of this? And then has our podcast logo on it. Because I feel like we ask that question very frequently. It's very on brand for us. Yeah, then you can say stop the nonsense across the shoulder in the back. That'd be dope. (laughs) All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's episode. It was a fun episode. We will be back next week to recap the Jaguars game and to look ahead even further. Until then, for Will Matias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.